This is episode number 70 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, one of our core team members, Miles Nelson, had a great conversation with Cam Huxford from Ghost Ship. If you have been a longtime listener of the podcast, you'll know that we've interviewed him before. We'll have a link to the previous interviews in the show notes, but here we go with a fresh interview with Cam Huxford with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 70. Well, this has been a pretty crazy year. Uh, A lot has gone down this year. Um, one of the cool things that's happened this year is I have my third child, Scarlett, little girl. She's about to turn a year old next month. And uh, so, yeah, when we think about when my wife and I are like thinking about her lifetime, we're like, wow, this has been a pretty crazy year. So anyway, we were working at I was working at Marshall Church uh, in Seattle. I was a worship pastor there. And. And Ship, the other members of Ship, they went to that church as well, and we all led worship there together. Uh, but Mars Hill closed, and it was it was a pretty heartbreaking thing all around. Like I don't know, from every angle, it was just kind of heartbreak, and you know, to see our church scatter and then eventually close. But actually, um, all of us in Ship have helped plant a new church. In Seattle, it's in the University District. It's called Cross and Crown. And so we continually worship together there uh, with with our brothers and sisters, people that we love, actually a lot of people that we've been with for, you know, five or six years. And we actually stayed on the same record label, and we're going to, you know, keep going as a band. We're actually going to – we continue to collaborate with uh, the other – guys that were you know former mars hill music guys and so even though there was a lot of heartbreak this past year i i mean i've actually seen god do a lot of really cool things recently in like reuniting his people and just restoration and unification recently in seattle so that's been miraculous to see that's awesome um the uh you, you talk about collaborating and um like there's that Northwest Collective record that kind of dropped out of nowhere. Um, is that is that part of what you're talking about? Or, well, that was kind of an interesting record. Um, yeah, that was that was a lot of the people that were at Mars Hill. Uh, we just kind of like did a worship night in our studio one night. We just opened it up to the public and had people come out, and we a lot of di- bunch of different Mars Hill bands got together and led worship, and that was a blast. Um, but that was actually before the church closed. And then since the church closed, we've been having meetings together um, about, you know, how we could continue to collaborate. And what we want to do is we want to, we actually want to continue doing worship nights in Seattle that are just open to everybody. And it's multiple churches. And uh, we're hoping that like somehow music can be a unifying thing in our city. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, so speaking of like the music and and all of that, and um, you guys kind of having this new church being born out of um, really like the collapse of Mars Hill, um, kind of talk us through Crossing Crown a little bit and what your role is there and what you guys have been doing as a band for that church. Cool. Yeah. So so I was one of the elders at Mars Hill. Um, I was a worship pastor, and what happened was when when the church started to collapse, uh, you know, I was working at like one location of Mars Hill. I was at the 
downtown location and I'd been there for a while, five or six years. And so when the church was collapsing, it was just kind of like, all right, we're with all these people, we're shepherding people, but this organization, you know, is going away and the leadership is going away. So, so it's like, what do we want to do? Do you want to just watch everybody scatter or should we plant a church or what? So myself and a few other of the guys who were elders at Mars Hill at the time, we decided to plant a church with the people that were at like our location. It's kind of confusing to, to, to talk about it. But anyway, anyway, 10 churches planted out of Mars Hill, uh, and we were one of them. And so we planted a new church with about 600 people and, um, man, God's really been, been blessing it. And it's kind of an interesting, unique thing to get to start a new church, but with people that you've been with for a long time. It's, it's actually been really cool and really fun. And so the new church, it's, it's led by myself and four other elders. And we're trying to figure out, you know, do we partner up with a network? Do we partner up with Acts 29 or something like that? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's just a brand new church, but starting with 600 people. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a nice little church plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like you know, people have told me, "Hey, that's not normally how church planting works. Normally, <laughs> you yeah. normally plant with six, not six hundred. Yeah, I, I uh, the church I was at before the current one I'm at was up in Arlington, Washington, and we planted with sixty, and we thought we were, we thought we we had been crazy blessed. So, <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I'm just I'm just a fan of church planting in general. I sure. mean, I, the thing that Mars Hill. It showed me, I mean, it was, you know, it was really heartbreaking, like I said, but at this point, I look at it and I'm, I'm really encouraged by just how amazing Jesus' global church on the earth is. Because something as bad as what went down with Marshall, something as bad as that can happen, but you see the church continue in spite of it. And the church being like his people, you know, the family of God on the earth, the the brothers of the brothers and sisters who've been adopted into God's family. Like Jesus church on the earth just continues no matter what. Uh, and I'm just I'm amazed by that. You know, I'm amazed by the perseverance of his church and I'm just encouraged as I watch Jesus love his church and lead his church through opposition and the church has been persevering through opposition for you know thousands of years and it continues and so i'm super encouraged by that yeah i want go go ahead go ahead adam that's fine no i i i I just i appreciate that i I wanted to ask about um you know the the church itself and, and writing um there's a difference between writing music for a band to play and writing music for a congregation to sing um and I wanted to kind of ask about that, and has that changed as you've changed uh, congregations in a way? Um, has that changed how you write, and, and how do you approach writing for a church congregation? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Yeah, I would de- definitely say that the congregation influences the songs I write and the songs that we write as a band. And so this new record and these new songs, I would say, are heavily influenced by our new church because we are writing it 
to be sung at at the church we go to, um, and we're like, you know, we're thinking about our people when we're writing, and it's kind of cool with this record. is a little different than our last record because with this record, we've been singing a lot of these songs at our church, and uh, um, for our last record, we were singing a few before the record came out, and then it was kind of like the record came out, and then we learned a bunch of new songs, and that was cool. But this time around. You know, we've been singing a lot of these songs uh, at our church, and they really come out of the life of a church. So, like, um, I mean, they're coming out of our community experience together and out of what we've seen, what we've seen the past two years. And I guess I can just go from that into, like, what the record's about. The record is about God's love, and it kind of, all the songs look at, the fact that Jesus loves us, that truth, they look at it from a different angle. And I think part of that, going back to your question, is that when our church was going through a really hard time, and when I'm going through a really hard time, um, like when you're really backed into a corner and things are getting really crazy and difficult, what I experienced was a lot of things around me started to fail. Like relationships started to fail, you know, leadership at some point started to fail, like structures and organizations started to fail. And what I was left with was the truth that Jesus loves me. And it even like simplified my theology in that season, like where, you know, all these, all this complicated theology got distilled down to like, you know, when I'm, when I'm struggling day to day, you know, it gets distilled down to the fact that, like, all right, wow, God loves me. He continues to pursue me. And, like, knowing that truth is kind of, like, how we persevered through a lot of crazy stuff. And so that's that's why we wrote the record that we did. That's awesome. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of the record, uh, we had uh, one of our guys who... He's a contributor on the site, Ricky, who actually is the guy who wrote the review for this album that will uh, come out when the uh, album comes out. Uh, he wanted to know about the song Provide. Uh, he said, I'd love to know the story that prompted the writing of that song. So if you could just walk us through that, that would be great. Oh, yeah, totally. So that is uh, the oldest song on the record. I wrote that song like eight years ago and um it just seemed to fit this record so we used it but when i my wife and i moved to seattle eight years ago in kind of a weird way like i was i was working at a huge church in the south and i had grown up in the church and i'd always been in the south and um for some reason we just felt god calling us to like leave the bible belt and basically it was just we felt compelled to go somewhere where there weren't a lot of churches. And uh, Seattle was, at the time, one of the least church cities in the country. And so we really just, like, quit our jobs and left and moved to Seattle. And it was kind of this weird, crazy thing. But when we got there, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't really think far enough ahead. I need to, like, find a job. And uh, so the first few years in Seattle were, were really difficult um, uh like financially, like I was working all these odd jobs. Like I would do construction in the morning, um, like 
doing this decorative concrete stuff. And then at night, I would deliver pizza. And then in the middle of the night, I would hang pipe and drape at hotels. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a weird yeah. niche thing. You just like hang, hang curtains in ballrooms at hotels. So it was literally like three different jobs for different times of the day. And I was just like, I don't know. There's so many times when I was just like, God, why did, why did, why did we feel like you called us here? Why did we move here? There's nothing working out. Like I, I can't, I'm not going to be able to maintain this three job thing for very long. And I'm still not, doesn't seem like I'm able to provide for my family. And it was around that time when we were pregnant. Well, I wrote the song. We were pregnant with our first child, uh, who's now five years old. Um, so I guess it's more like six years ago that I wrote the song. The timeline got kind of off in my mind, but, uh, I just really got to that point where I was like, theologically, I believe that God provides, but in my heart, I just don't believe it. And so the song came out of that, of just like, the last verse of the song says, uh, will you provide for me something I can see because I don't believe? And uh, that was kind of the heart posture that it came out of. I was just kind of like asking God, like, all right, if you're going to call us to do something crazy, like, are you going to provide for us? Um, but it's, it's like my wife and I still think about that season because really we can look back on our lives at a lot of different difficult seasons that are difficult in different ways. And God really has always provided for us, you know? And, uh, for me as, as a man who's married and has a family, like, I work as hard as I can to provide, but at the end of the day, like ultimately my work and my career and my job and like the work I do to get money for the family, um, it's ultimately just pointing to, to God as provider because he truly is, he truly is the real provider. So that's one of the ways I just see, we just see his love for us so clearly when we look back. We just think, man, he really has provided in all these different seasons. But yeah, that song came out of almost just, almost just desperation. Really, it was kind of crazy. That's awesome. What's your favorite song on the new record? If you have a favorite. Well, I don't really have a favorite because all these songs are pretty personal to me. Like this, this record is way more personal than our last record was. It's, it really is, man, it's coming out of like daily devotional time with God over the course of two years, for the most part, over the course of the past two years, um, in the midst of hardship. And so these songs are coming out of like talking to God about struggles and really being daily reminded of his love and amazed by his love and like blown away by his love. So, I mean, um, aside from the song I just mentioned, uh, these songs were all written in the past two years. And some of the songs were written like weeks after our last record came out two years ago. So it kind of like very personally documents a difficult two years of my life. Uh, even though these songs are written, they are written to be sung in church. I'm not, when I say personal, I don't mean that like they're just for me, but like content wise, they're coming out of like a vulnerable 
vulnerable place. Uh, but I do have a few songs that that stick out to me for different reasons. One, the song has said, which is the last track on the record, um, and it was on the EP. It was the last track on the EP, and we put it as the last track on this record as well. It really, uh, theologically, is pretty foundational to this record because the Old Testament uses a Hebrew word has said, or some you can spell it H E S E D, or it can be chesed, C H E S E D, but it's like an English transliteration of a Hebrew word that means covenant love. And uh, man, more than anything else, the past few years, the the biblical concept of covenant love has just blown me away. And when when God makes a covenant with His people, He says, "I will be your God, and you will be my people." And that's kind of the end of the the end of it. You know, there's no, there's not like conditional clauses uh, and things like that. And it's not a contract that is voided if one party breaks it. Like he knows we're not going to hold up our end of it, but he will continue to hold up his end. And his love for us is covenant love. And so he continues to love us because he's made covenant with us, even though we continue to stray and rebel and, uh, do various things, and I've just seen that so clearly in my life the past few years. Even as I continue to run from Him, He continues to pursue me and love me. And it's for that reason that the Hebrew word has said carries like a lot of other meaning, um, like long-suffering and steadfast, faithful, true. Like it, it's this beautiful, vast uh, description of God's love. And so that song, man, it, it, it's kind of like the foundation that the rest of the record is built on. Um, so that song's pretty, pretty, you know, big in my mind. And then the first song, I'll just tell you about the first song on the record real quick because it's uh, special to me in a unique way. The first song's called Invitation, and we wanted to, to start the record off with just a call for people to come and find their life in Jesus. Like, we just wanted to kick the record off saying like, hey, Jesus loves you. Like, come to him. Come come all you sinners. Come all you weary. Come all you burdened. Like, come to Jesus because he loves you. And uh, as we were writing that song, it was a co-write. Uh, me and the producer, Brian Eichelberger, were co-writing the lyrics together. And we were finishing up the lyrics as we were tracking lead vocals because we had really wrestled with this song a lot because we felt like it's a pretty heavy task to like like call people to Jesus, you know, to so like proclaim the gospel and be like, hey, like this is the gospel. Jesus loved you. He died for you. Like come to him. Like, I mean, that's obviously like a heavy thing to do. And so we didn't take it lightly. And so we really wrestled with the lyrics for a long time. Uh, and then we finally, finally finished the lyrics. But then when I was singing it, Brian was like, Hey man, you know what? Like for you to nail the emotion on this, like you've got to picture in your mind, like actual people who you want to call to Jesus. Like, it's going to fall flat if you're not thinking of people that you want to make this invitation to. And so the the three people that came to mind were my kids, who are five, three, and one, 
And, uh, man, it was just such a, an emotional session tracking the vocals on this because I was just thinking of my kids and just thinking like, man, like I, I just, I hope that, I hope they find life in Jesus. Like, I hope they follow Jesus their whole lives. Like, I just, I desire that so much for them. So really, uh, that song's emotional to me in that way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's good insight uh, into those songs. Uh, kind of keeping on that same thing of the, of the theme of the songs, uh, tell us, like, what... Uh, like all the songs on the new record, what do you think would be like if somebody was going through your record and they wanted to pick out a song to sing on Sunday morning at their church, which one would you most recommend as far as like <clears throat> lyrical content and like reproducibility? Um, probably the first one I would say, look what God has done. Um, and the reason is, I mean, one, it is easy to sing. And it'd probably be fairly easy to uh, produce. Like we we put the instrumentation in halftime. We felt like it. Re- we felt like it really reinforces the melody really well, and it just kind of like has this momentum that kind of. Uh, it's one of those melodies that just the chorus melody has that momentum. It just kind of gets rolling, and then it, it it's easy to it's intuitive to sing. But content-wise, content the song is really just a celebration of what Jesus is doing in his church. And the lyrics come from Ephesians 3. And Ephesians 3 talks about how amazing Jesus' church is. Like Ephesians 3 says that the mystery of the gospel is revealed in the church. And then that mystery is, I mean, the mystery that was hidden for generations and that was revealed in Jesus is that the Gentiles were adopted into the family of God. So the fact that we as Gentiles can be a part of Jesus' church, like, is the mystery of the gospel, and it's an amazing thing. And Ephesians 3 also says that that even angels look at the earth, and they see what Jesus is doing in the church, and they're just amazed. They're amazed by his wisdom. They can't believe what he's doing in his church on the earth. And so definitely for us, coming out of the whole Mars Hill thing, man... When you see all like how broken and ugly earthly organizations can be and earthly leadership can be, but by contrast, you see how beautiful Jesus' bride is and how amazing, uh, amazing she is. I really wanted to come out of this whole season not like jaded towards the church, but celebrating the church and calling other people and reminding that that song. I hope is a reminder to people that like. Man, the church is not this jacked up thing. Like, yes, we are we are sinful, and like when we have to build earthly organizations, uh, those organizations can quickly get jacked up, and our leadership can get jacked up. But man, I just want to remind people, like, but the church is like beautiful. The church is the bride. Like, she's amazing. It's like the one thing Jesus left behind. When he left the earth, the one thing he left behind to bring redemption was his church. And so I hope people sing that song in church, and I hope it can be a reminder to other Christians of how amazing it is that we all get to be a part of Jesus' church. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for walking us through that. I think that'll be helpful, I'm sure, as uh, people are listening to the album, and they'll be wanting to pick a track or two to start leading at their church. So that's helpful to 
give people sort of that, that lead in. So thanks for that. Um, cool. Uh, one thing I wanted to, another thing I wanted to ask you was, um, and, uh, just kind of like uh, your experience of being a worship leader, um, talk us through like, what's the, if you, somebody came up to you and was like, Hey, I need some advice as a worship leader. Give me like two things that you've learned, uh, leading worship over the years. Uh, what would you give them? Okay. So the first thing that comes to mind is it's, it's more general than leading worship, but since it came to mind first, it's just about church leadership. Like probably the biggest thing that I've learned is that if you, is that church leadership is fundamentally self-sacrificial. So like if you want to lead in the church in any capacity, whether it's leading worship or whatever, like if you, if you feel called to lead God's people, to lead in his church, you've got to ask yourself, like, am I willing to sacrifice for people? Um, John 10 has just become a huge life verse for me because talk, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. And obviously we can't be the good shepherd like him, but we can follow his example. I think he's setting an example for us uh, in leadership, like in showing us what leadership is, that love is laying down your life for people, that church leadership is laying down your life for people. Uh, and so I think a lot of people, and I, and, and I, and Jesus in that same passage talks about the difference between hired hands and shepherds. And he says, like, hired hands, when the wolves come, they're going to run away because they're just there because it's a job. But the shepherds are going to stay and lay down their life for the sheep. And I've been a hired hand for sure, um, and I feel like by God's grace, in, in this role of worship pastor, God's used that role to show me what it actually means to be a shepherd. And so I would just like say to people who want to to lead worship, and maybe people who want to be worship pastors or want to lead in any way, like just know that that job is a call to lay your life down for people. And if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to love people self-sacrificially, then like please don't do it as a job. Um, because it can seem like a cool job, you know, like it can seem like, oh man, it's cool to like do music at church and to like, you know, write songs or, or whatever, all the different aspects. But what I've seen the most in leading worship is, is that like, as a job, it's a pretty, actually pretty terrible job. Like it doesn't pay well. It's really difficult. And uh, it's just not as, as great as it seems, but as a calling, as a calling to like love people and lead people and shepherd people and lay your life down for people, it's really amazing. And so like, I would love to see anyone who has that calling, you know, respond to that and do that. Uh, and I think we just all have to like continue to repent every day and learn what does it mean to be self-sacrificial leaders the way that Jesus was. Because honestly, our instinct for all of us is is self protection, uh, in in any kind of role, and so I feel like I'm slowly and painfully and not perfectly, or just really slowly seeing, and definitely not even doing it that well, but seeing what it actually means to be a self-sacrificial leader. And I, I aspire to that. I hope to, I hope to each day get 
become more like Jesus in that. But it's really hard. I mean, it's a hard, hard job to do. Yeah, those are good insights, though, for sure. I think that, you know, um, said, you know, if you want to lead in any capacity, you need to be willing to sacrifice for people. I think that's so important because um, I know even in, in my job being a youth pastor, sometimes it's 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 hard to sacrifice yeah, for people. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, you know, like you said, it's not an easy job. It can be fun at times for sure, but then there's times where it kind of sucks. But um, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, but... Yeah, I think that idea of just like, you know, whether you're the drummer in the band or you teach Sunday school, you know, it's all about serving people for the sake of uh, Jesus. So, yeah. yeah, and one thing I would like to add to that is one thing I've really seen is there, there really is a priesthood of all believers. You know, there's not, you don't have to be like this special professional pastor guy to like be a leader in the church or whatever but like man all of us believers like we're all called to love each other the way that jesus loved us to like lay our lives down for each other and to proclaim the gospel to the world and so man i just um i don't know i've been i guess newly amazed and encouraged by the priesthood of all believers the fact that we all get to be on mission with Jesus following him. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, hey, Adam, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm just going to ask him like one last question. So if you've got anything, um, yeah, I just have a, I have a practical question. Um, and it, All right. in some ways you guys have been the most prolific, uh, band in recording and releasing stuff out of the Marcel bands. Um, how do you, a lot of times we hear uh, discussion and questions about um, when to add new songs, when to keep old songs. Um, w- when you're leading worship at Cross and Crown now, like, is, is there still songs from like the first EP or the first record that are in rotation? Or how do you kind of keep, um, keep things fresh and or uh, keep old stuff that's still good around? What's, what's your take on that? Well, um, yeah, in two parts. I think one way to keep things fresh is to keep rearranging hymns practically because I think there's such a huge body of work that's really good um, that, man, I've just found that to be such a like rich library of lyrics and even melodies to just keep going back to, like, keep rearranging. Um, you know, like one of my favorite hymns... Uh, when I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watts, uh, we rearranged for this record. And I was just like, man, like, you can just never run out of these old hymns that are awesome. So that's, I think, one way to keep it fresh. Uh, and we, so we keep rearranging hymns when we're for week, for weekends at church. We do, you know, we do try to, like, be on the lookout for other dudes writing really good music and, uh, I'm totally down with using other people's music. And then in the music we write, to answer your question, we do still do music from all of our recordings, which is kind of, you know, kind of cool. Like uh, like last week or a few weeks ago, one of the other bands at church did One God. And, and my band hadn't sung that, church, sung that song at church in a while. But, you know, another band did it, and 
everybody was like stoked. Like you could tell everybody still knew the words and they kind of, you know, got excited and sang it loud. And I was just like, man, that's really cool. And one thing we've talked about myself and, and the other guys who used to be at Mars Hill is that what we were wanting to do with the recordings was build a body of work together that would serve as kind of a hymnal for our church. And I guess that's one way that I've just seen like how really cool it is to collaborate with other guys. Um, because like I would say for me personally, now that now that it's like go ship at a church plant, it would be really hard for us to write enough songs to like be the complete body of work for our church. Um, but what I've seen through collaboration with other guys is that, man, you really can, over the years, you start to see these songs that have come out of the life of your church, and you do kind of, in a way, create a hymnal over time. And I, and I don't presume to think that like any one song I write is going to be the next Amazing Grace, that people are going to sing it for hundreds of years. But I have no doubt that there will be aspects of the hymnal that we collectively create, you know, with our people that will be around for a while, you know, and I think that's really fun and exciting to me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, please head over to thechurchcollective.com and connect with us. We want to connect with you and connect you with others. God bless.